Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. Hey, hey, y'all. What's going on? Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander's Facts podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. We are rolling with episode 70, the big 7-0 of the podcast here on Wednesday, July 13th. 2022. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you've liked all the facts that we've had on the podcast, our previous 69 episodes, nice. And nice. If you think you're going to like the facts on this week's edition of the podcast, because I think you will, a lot of facts on this week's podcast, remember to go follow the podcast, download this episode, rate the podcast, review the podcast, go on all your socials Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember, to tell all your friends about Spread the Facts. Spread the Facts! Xander's Facts Podcast. Remember to tell all your friends. This week, episode 70, I'm going to try and keep it on the shorter side. Nope! Because, not that I am just lazy, even though I am. Xander's Facts. But, also, if you didn't know, this week is Xander Anniversary of Birth celebration actually today the day i'm recording my podcast is july 12th so i am expecting all your amazon 100 dollars gift cards sent to me very shortly i'm just kidding maybe get that dough but this week here on the podcast we are talking about football even though it's july and i know we're not talking about is aaron Rodgers the best qb ever what's patrick mahomes gonna do this year you can go watch greeny on espn to listen to that this week though We're talking about some serious stuff. We're talking about off the field with the NFL. We are talking about Deshaun Watson and Dan Snyder. Two individuals who, well, one we think is bad. We don't know for sure. The other one we know is very bad. Bad people in football is who we are talking about this week. The offseason follies for football. Because it has not exactly been the best offseason for the National Football League. We're going to start with pro football. And then at the end of the podcast, I got something to add about college sports. Because if you haven't heard of the news, it's kind of old news now. And I already wrote about it on Sanders Weekend Facts. Which you should check out, by the way. Sanders Weekend Facts. Link in this episode's description. But I'll discuss that very quickly at the end. But we're going to start with pro football. Because there have been two high-profile cases off the field that have taken up a lot of the off-season headlines and haven't exactly been a good look for professional football and the league that manages professional football in the United States, the National Football League, the NFL. So this week, we're going to take a look at two cases, two individuals, how they've gotten here, and what could be next for both of them. Here we go! First up, we're going to start with Deshaun Watson. The former Houston Texans quarterback has had a rough past year and a half or so, but it's probably of his own doing. I will explain. Watson is currently accused by multiple women of sexual misconduct during massage appointments. Many know this, but the details of the overall situation are unknown to many, and I tried to censor out a bunch of the graphic details that have been out there, but still. Viewer discretion advised a little bit because some of the stuff is a little, I don't know, for both of these guys, bad stuff. So let's get into the Sean Watson here because we first learned of the sexual misconduct allegations back in March of 2021. That was when a civil lawsuit was filed by a Houston massage therapist. The lawsuit alleged that Watson, this is where viewer discretion advised here, Watson had touched the massage therapist with his weenie while asking her for sex in March of 2020. Yikes! That lawsuit was filed back on March 16th of 2021, and a month later, in April, there were 22 lawsuits filed, with every accuser being represented by Tony Busby, who was a Houston plaintiff's lawyer who was famously involved in the litigation cases after Hurricane Ike and the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico about 10 years ago. He also ran for mayor of Houston in 2018, but lost. So in total, there have been 24 lawsuits against Watson that have been filed since March of 2020, with sexual misconduct allegations occurring 
from March 2020 to March 2021, and only two of the 24 cases have claims of sexual assault. Two, of course, is too too many, but both cases allege that Watson pressured the women to perform oral sex during the massages. The lawsuits were all filed in Harris County, Texas, where Houston is located, even though several of the incidents were alleged to occur in Arizona, California, and Georgia. Georgia is where Watson's from, but he lives in Houston, of course, so that is where the lawsuits were filed. So then, March 18th, the NFL announced that they were opening an investigation into the allegations against Watson, which was going to be led by the NFL Special Counsel for Investigations, Lisa Friel. The Houston Police Department also announced that they were investigating Watson on April 2nd. And since then, since that time frame of March, April 2021, Watson has lost some major sponsorship deals, including agreements with Nike, Beats by Dre, and Reliant Energy, which is actually owned by NRG, which owns the naming rights to the stadium that the Texans play in. Now, Watson was a part of the Texans back when this happened, March, April 2021. So after 22 lawsuits were filed, on April 16th, a legal response was filed by Watson's lawyers. Seven-page legal response. And Watson's legal team is being led by lawyer Rusty Harden, who was a former Texas state prosecutor who was now a defense lawyer. And Harden has defended Roger Clemens, Adrian Peterson, and James Harden in lawsuits previously. Who? So this legal response denied all of the allegations against Watson and attacked the credibility of the accusers because apparently they thought that was a good idea. The response claims that eight of the plaintiffs, quote, bragged about, praised, and were excited about massaging Watson, unquote, while seven of the plaintiffs willingly worked or offered to work with him again. Additionally, the response claims that three of the plaintiffs lied about the number of sessions that they had with Watson, three plaintiffs lied about their alleged trauma and resulting harm, five told others that they wanted to get money, and five other plaintiffs have scrubbed or entirely deleted their social media accounts that were used to promote their businesses. This is what the response says. And around this time, most of the plaintiffs who filed their suits anonymously came forward with their identities. A bunch of them were forced by courts to come forward as well. Watson and his lawyers also say that any alleged sexual acts came with consent between Watson and the accuser, to which the accusers have denied. They say there was no consent on their behalf. On May 21st, going forward a month in 2021, it was revealed that the personal attorney for the owner of the Texans, Cal McNair, had attempted to broker a mediation between the two sides to no avail. So then we go over the summer of last year, 2021. There were 10 police complaints that were filed against Watson, and Watson still reported to the training camp for the Texans. But that was a little interesting because just after the season ended in early 2021, Watson had requested a trade from the team because he was like the only good player who was playing when he was playing with the Texans. So we didn't want to play there anymore. Then a couple weeks, months after he requested a trade, these accusations come out. And so during the next season, the 2021-2022 NFL season, which was last season, Watson did not play or even suit up for any of the 17 games that the Texans played last year. So then the next major bit of news came on March 11th of 2022, which is this year, when a grand jury met to decide if charges were going to be filed against Watson, criminal charges. At the time, Watson was facing 22 civil suits, and the grand jury ultimately decided to clear Watson of any criminal charges related to the sexual misconduct allegations against him in Harris County, Texas, where Houston was. Even though Watson wasn't in the clear just yet because those suits were still active, trade rumors had ramped up between the Texans and many teams around the league because they said, oh, Deshaun Watson, let's get him, even though uh, he might not be able to play for us. Oh, but Deshaun Watson, we got to get him. Ew. And that's what the Browns thought. So the Cleveland Browns traded for Deshaun Watson one week 
Later, Cleveland sent three first-round picks and three additional picks in exchange for Deshaun Watson. Then, a week later, March 24th of this year, another grand jury in Brazoria County, Texas, which is south of Houston, also declined to file charges against Watson. But, even though he wasn't criminally charged, the 22 lawsuits were still active, and in late May and early June, two more sexual misconduct lawsuits were filed. So that brought the number up to 24, and one of the suits also accused Watson of sexual assault, one of the new lawsuits. So then, on June 7th, we learned new details about the overall situation when the New York Times released the results of an investigation that found Watson had booked massage appointments with 66 women from 2019 to 2021, despite Watson previously claiming in public that he had only worked with about 40 massage therapists. So the New York Times investigation revealed that several of the additional women who did not file lawsuits against Watson said that Watson had requested sexual acts during their appointments. The report stated that Watson had asked several therapists to sign an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, that he received from a staff member of the Houston Texans. The report also claimed that Watson said in his deposition that the Texans had arranged for some of the massages to happen at the Houstonian, which is a big hotel and spa in Houston. So the day after the Times report was released, Tony Busby announced that the Houston Texans were being added as defendants to the lawsuits because now, apparently, the Texans may have aided Watson, which, uh-oh, if this actually happened. Do better. So then, on June 21st, which is less than a month ago, it was announced that Watson had reached a settlement in 20 of the 24 civil lawsuits 15 months after most of them had been filed. And throughout that time, Watson has denied all allegations against him, saying one week before the suits were settled, quote, I never assaulted, disrespected, or harassed anyone, unquote. So then, on June 27th, one of the women who filed a lawsuit against Watson filed a new lawsuit against the Houston Texans, alleging negligence from the team, saying that the Texans, quote, knew or should have known of Watson's conduct, unquote, and enabled it. So that's a new lawsuit against the Texans, a team Watson is not even a part of anymore, but may have actually helped him or looked the other way and knew that this was going on. So finally, the last piece that we know of right now, and really the last piece in this story, is the NFL investigation. That is still ongoing, but findings are expected to be revealed in the next few weeks. There was a three-day disciplinary hearing that occurred pretty recently with retired federal judge Sue L. Robinson, who served as the arbiter who oversaw the hearing that was jointly appointed by the NFL and the Players Union. So Robinson is going to decide whether or not Watson is going to be disciplined under the NFL's personal conduct policy. If she finds that Watson did not violate the policy, then Watson's going to be cleared and he's not going to face any suspension for this matter. If she does discipline Watson, if she believes after listening to the testimonies and all the evidence that he committed these acts, then she can hand down a certain punishment, a suspension of however many games or so. So if she does that, then either side, Watson's side or the accuser's side, can appeal the extent of the penalty that is handed down, and then the commissioner, Roger Goodell, is going to have the final say in that matter. Now, the NFL, it has been reported by good reporters, good sources, that the NFL is seeking for an indefinite suspension of Watson. Whether that happens remains to be seen. So, that is basically an overall recap of the situation that involves Deshaun Watson, who was with the Houston Texans but is now the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. These are facts. Now, the Browns took a huge risk for even trading for him and giving up six picks in total, including three first-round draft selections, but they also gave him a new contract where Watson's going to make $230 million over the next five years, which is the most guaranteed money in the history 
of the NFL. They also moved on from Baker Mayfield, which apparently they weren't getting along very well either way. Then they trade for Watson, and that situation goes downhill. So they actually traded Baker Mayfield, who was their quarterback for the Browns, to the Panthers. So Carolina now has Baker Mayfield, and all they got back for him was a fifth-round pick. So he wasn't that bad of a quarterback, but there's been some new stuff coming out that apparently he wasn't taking the job seriously. So we'll see what comes out there. But, I mean, that basically means if Deshaun Watson gets indefinitely suspended, that would be very bad for the Cleveland Browns. Who are they going to suit up? And they wouldn't have been able to suit up Baker Mayfield anyway because he was refusing to play for the team even when he was on the team. So that's, you know, another issue. So do the Cleveland Browns know what they're doing? (laughs) We'll figure that out. I don't think so. But just to recap this whole situation, 24 women have accused Deshaun Watson of sexual misconduct. Three have also accused him of sexual assault during various massage appointments in the last three years. Two grand juries have decided not to charge Watson criminally, and 20 of those suits have been settled. However, there are four cases that are still active, and there is still the potential for punishment from the NFL, where Watson is employed. So, Watson's situation is still ongoing, but it is important to know the facts, which is why I talked about these two cases this week, because we've been talking about Deshaun Watson and Dan Snyder a little bit on this podcast, but the stories are kind of complex, and it's very important to get all the facts that we know of. We don't know all the facts in this situation, but all the facts that we know of, it's important to get to the bottom of. And that's what I did here on this podcast. Xander's facts. Because some people believe that Watson did engage in sexual misconduct and sexual assault without consent, and there's others that believe that this is basically just a hit piece on Watson. And right now, the total facts on the case are not clear, but hopefully we're going to know in the next few days and weeks. But I would say, though, it's pretty hard to deny that there wasn't at least some instances of sexual misconduct. I'm not saying that out of all the 24 women there were, but considering it was found that Watson had at least 66 massage appointments and that the first woman who filed a suit against Watson, remember that first woman we were talking about, that first accusation, She is still part of one of the four active cases. I would say there's something to be said about that. But in the next few days or weeks, we're going to find out. And we're going to find out whether or not he's going to be punished by the NFL. So that's the first little football folly offseason topic that I've got this week. The other one, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I want to talk about this, but I will. Daniel Snyder. You all know him. Ugh. We've talked about this a little bit on the podcast. Like, I'll make a reference to Dan Snyder here or there, talk about something bad he did. But the overall situation of Dan Snyder and why he's so bad and why we all hate him, why he's just terrible owner, terrible person, has not been talked about on the podcast. I haven't gone into it so much. So we are going to do that. This week, we got Deshaun Watson's situation. Now we've got the situation involving Dan Snyder, the other stain of football's offseason. Of course, this disgrace has been much longer in the making because Dan Snyder has been the owner of the Washington Commanders, which, ugh, like seriously, I've said that horrible name, since 1999 when he bought the team from the estate of the previous owner, Jack Kent Cook, In that time, Snyder has become one of the least liked owners in the NFL. I'll say least liked to be nice. There has been controversy after controversy that has not been helped by the poor results that Washington has faced on the field during Snyder's time as owner. But recent allegations that have come up in the last year or two have been the worst yet. And we've mentioned them on the podcast a little bit. I've talked about them a little bit here and there, but we haven't gotten exactly into what Snyder is being accused of specifically. So I'm going to break that down. Big fact incoming. Let's get into it because Snyder has been the subject of ire for very good reason, I will add, for decades now in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, anyone who's a Washington fan or a football fan 
or a human being fan, because he's not a good person to be a fan of. Jeez. Controversy has followed him seemingly anywhere he has gone. First, his teams haven't been very good. I'll just say that. Since Snyder bought the team in 1999, Washington has won 156 games. They've lost 212. They've tied one game with 10 head coaches over 23 years, and they have not advanced past the divisional round of the playoffs since 1999. They have one of the longest conference finals droughts that is active. It's pretty bad. But it has not just been on the field where controversy has surrounded Dan Snyder. And we're not talking about on the field. We're talking about off the field on this podcast. Snyder has attacked journalists and others who have written things he didn't like. He has allowed FedEx Field, where the team plays, to become run down and basically a cesspool where last year it was literally dumping sewage on fans, and he famously refused to change the team name when it was Redskins for many years until a bunch of sponsors, including FedEx, said, we're not going to give you money anymore. And he said, oh my gosh, money's going away. So then he changed the name. But the controversies that I'm talking about may just be enough to bring many Washington fans their greatest wish, getting. Dan Snyder out of D.C. I know every Washington fan was like, oh my gosh, please, can it happen? Well, let's see. In the last few months and years, Snyder has been accused of fomenting a toxic workplace culture inside of the organization and more recently has been accused on withholding revenue from the NFL and the IRS to keep more money for the organization instead of sharing it with the league. Oh boy. We're going to talk about these. I've got the timeline here for you. And we go all the way back to May of 2018, when really all of this starts. Because that was when a New York Times report revealed allegations by five former cheerleaders that they had been sexually harassed and intimidated by the team and its sponsors while on a trip to Costa Rica in 2013. That report in 2018 led to the resignation of Dennis Green, the president of business operations, for the team, and the organization conducted an investigation into the allegations, but found that the report was accurate, but that the events were, quote, greatly exaggerated and dramatized, unquote. The team had that investigation, so, you know, but that's 2018. Fast forward to 2020, July of 2020, the Washington Post released a report where 17 women, 15 of which were former employees with the Washington football team, alleged that they were sexually harassed by members of the organization. The report said that allegations included unwelcome overtures, sexual comments, pressure to wear revealing clothing and flirt with clients, and a lack of support from the HR department that was understaffed because, of course, among those named as instigating the sexual harassment incidents was Larry Michael, who was the team's former VP of content and the play-by-play broadcaster on the radio who resigned the day before the report dropped. This is true. Also accused were Director of Pro Personnel Alex Santos, Assistant Director of Pro Personnel Richard Mann II, President of Business Operations Dennis Green, as I just mentioned, and COO Mitch Gershman. Santos and Mann were fired four days before the report was published, while Green resigned in 2018, as I mentioned, and Gershman left the team in 2015. In response to that report, which apparently they knew was coming because they resigned, fired people, the organization told the Washington Post that they had hired Beth Wilkinson, a D.C. attorney with the Wilkinson-Walsh law firm, to, quote, conduct a thorough independent review of this entire matter and help the team set new employee standards for the future, unquote. Of course, a team investigating itself always sounds like a great idea. Then, on August 26th, of 2020, the Washington Post dropped another report that included new allegations from 25 additional women. That report included more allegations against former team employees like Larry Michael and Alex Santos, but also an allegation that involved Snyder personally. Former Washington cheerleader Tiffany Bacon Scorby said in November of 2004, Dan Snyder suggested that she join Snyder's longtime friend Anthony Roberts in a hotel room so they could, quote, get to know each other better, unquote. Three people in the Post report corroborated her allegation. 
after the new report came out, the NFL announced five days later that it was taking over the investigation being conducted by Beth Wilkinson, with Wilkinson now reporting directly to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, which is better, I guess, than the team investigating itself. Then, on September 4th, it was revealed through court documents that the NFL had told Dan Snyder to back off the use of private investigators relating to the Wilkinson probe, with the Washington Post reporting that at least eight people had been approached by private investigators. Because, of course, nothing shady going on with Dan Snyder. No, never. That's not true. Then, December 22nd of 2020, the Washington Post reported that Snyder had paid a former female team employee $1.6 million in July of 2009 to settle a sexual misconduct allegation. The woman accused Snyder of sexual misconduct in April of 2009. Then, in February of 2021, it was revealed that the organization had reached a settlement with former team cheerleaders who had appeared in videos that were made after swimsuit calendar photo shoots in 2008 and 2010, unknowingly to the cheerleaders, by the way. The team then announced in February of 2021 that the cheerleading program had been paused and then discontinued in March of 2021. But then fast forward to July of 2021, and the Beth Wilkinson probe has concluded. It's over. But the NFL has not released details of the report. Although the NFL fined the organization, the Washington football team at the time, $10 million after the report revealed a quote, highly unprofessional, unquote, workplace. Snyder said that he takes responsibility for the team's workplace issues and agrees with the league's decisions and recommendations for changes, and then he shifts the day-to-day operations of the team to his wife, Tanya Snyder, which is a whole nother issue we're going to get to. The issue appeared to be closed, though, at that point, with little consequence for Snyder, because, I mean, let's be real, for someone of Snyder's wealth, $10 million is basically like pocket change. Like, he owns one of the most valuable franchises, sports franchises in the world. So, like, that's not a big hit on him. That's impressive. Little consequence for Snyder. And the issue appeared to be closed. But it wasn't. We got some more stuff. And it got worse for Snyder. You all know what I'm probably talking about, because in October of last year, The Wall Street Journal published a leaked email from the Beth Wilkinson investigation. That email, which we've actually mentioned on this podcast, I remember, back in the fall, was from July of 2011 and was sent by then-ESPN employee and in 2021 the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, John Gruden, and sent to then-Washington team president Bruce Allen. The email was one of the first that forced Gruden to resign as the Raiders coach. You all remember this if you listen to the podcast back in the fall. Because Gruden wrote in that email regarding NFLPA president Demora Smith, he wrote, quote, Demora Smith has lips the size of Michelin tires, unquote. That is what he said in that email. Days later, the New York Times released new leaked emails from the probe in which Gruden called NFL commissioner Roger Goodell a F-A-G-G-O-T, and a, quote, clueless anti-football, P-U-S-S-Y, unquote, and said that Goodell should not have pressured then-St. Louis Rams head coach Jeff Fisher to draft, quote, unquote, queers. Gruden resigned after the emails were published because, like, bro. Oof. Then, on October 13th, a letter was written by 10 former Washington employees which urged six of the top NFL sponsors to pressure the league to release full details of the Beth Wilkinson probe. Of course, that did not happen. Three days later, though, October 16th of last year, there was a big, big moment in the entire timeline because for the first time, Congress was getting involved. The Democratic-led House Committee on Oversight and Reform called on Goodell to give Congress the findings of the Wilkinson probe. Members of the committee wrote, quote, The NFL's lack of transparency about the problems it recently uncovered raised questions about the seriousness with which it has addressed bigotry, racism, sexism, and homophobia, setting troubling precedents 
for other workplaces, unquote. So then, on December 14th, the Washington Post reported that Snyder had tried to interfere with the investigation by trying to prevent a woman from speaking with Wilkinson. Snyder reportedly, according to the Washington Post, offered hush money to the individual who had been paid $1.6 million in a settlement after she accused Snyder of sexual misconduct in 2009, which I already mentioned. The next day, though, Goodell said that Snyder did not interfere. Not that he didn't try to, though. That's what the Washington Post is saying. Goodell said he didn't interfere. Not that he didn't try to. So, big difference. Moving on, though, to this year, February 2nd, we have new allegations that were made by several former team employees on HBO's Real Sports podcast. Among the allegations was one against Snyder personally from former cheerleader and marketing manager Tiffany Johnston. According to The Athletic, quote, Former cheerleader and marketing manager Tiffany Johnston accused Snyder of touching her inappropriately two different times at a work dinner event. She said Snyder placed his hand on her thigh under the table until she moved his hand away, and then approached her after the dinner and put his arm around her, inviting her into his limo. She said she refused, but he persisted, aggressively pushing her toward the limo until his lawyer intervened, saying, Dan, very, very bad idea, and I mean bad idea, unquote. Like, <laughs> yeah, good thing his lawyer was there, because that is a very, very bad idea. Gash facts. The next day, six former team employees spoke in front of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. New allegations came forward from that. And five women, so five of the six, were female former team employees. And they each asked how many times they would estimate they were sexually harassed while with the organization. Tiffany Johnston, as we just mentioned, estimated that she was sexually harassed 50 to 100 times. Melanie Coburn estimated over 200 times. Anna Nunez estimated over 100 times. Emily Applegate estimated 515 times every day during her one and a half year tenure. And Rachel Engelson estimated every day for eight years. The next day, February 4th, the House committee released new documents which revealed a common interest agreement between the NFL and the organization, which may have given Snyder the ability to, quote, limit the disclosure of specific findings and recommendations, unquote, from the Wilkinson report. The league then blamed the Washington organization in a letter to the committee on February 10th for withholding documents from the committee, because apparently the league let Snyder do that, according to the House committee. Then, February 9th, the team announced that it would investigate the allegations against Snyder, but the NFL said, you already tried that, no, 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 we're going to do that. So the NFL quickly announced that they would handle the investigation, not the commanders, as they became known around that time. The league then hired attorney Mary Jo White to lead the investigation. And Mary Jo White was the chair of the U.S. SEC, not the SEC Southeastern Conference, the Security and Exchange Commission from us four years under the Obama administration. And she also led the 2018 investigation into former Carolina Panthers owner Jerry Richardson. Richardson was forced to sell the team after White's investigation found workplace misconduct against Richardson. Then, March 31st, we have another bombshell that drops because the Washington Post reports that the House committee was investigating allegations of financial impropriety by Snyder. On April 4th, we learned that the information including the withholding of ticket revenue shared with other teams. That was according to former Washington executive Jason Friedman, who had testified before the House committee. This led to a letter sent from the committee to the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, on April 12th, which said that the organization and Snyder, quote, may have engaged in a troubling, long-running, and potentially unlawful pattern of financial conduct, unquote. And also in the letter, the allegations included, quote, that the team withheld up to $5 million in refundable deposits from season ticket holders and maintained, quote, two sets of books, unquote, to underreport 
certain ticket revenue to the NFL, hiding money that was meant to be shared with other owners, unquote. And the league said that Mary Jo White would also investigate these new claims. Seriously? And then a couple days later, the commander sent a letter to the FTC denying the allegations. And then April 25th, the attorneys general in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where the team's headquarters are, and Washington, D.C., announced that they would also be investigating allegations of financial malfeasance against the organization. And let me just tell you, if you want to piss off the NFL owners, sexual misconduct apparently is fine with them. But withholding money, that's a different story because, you know, they are all in it for the money. Then, last month, the House committee asked for Goodell and Snyder to testify in front of the committee on June 22nd. Snyder declined, but Goodell accepted the invitation to testify via Zoom. So during that hearing on June 22nd, Goodell said that the NFL would not release the findings of the Wilkinson investigation publicly and would not allow Beth Wilkinson to testify because the league wanted to protect the privacy of the individuals who came forward in the investigation. Goodell also said that he alone does not have the power to remove Snyder as owner of the commanders and that they could only occur if 75% of Snyder's fellow owners voted to remove him. And Goodell also said that he did not believe that Snyder is involved in day-to-day operations with the commanders because, of course, he gave this over to his wife, even though The Athletic found much evidence saying otherwise, including the fact that he gave those duties to his wife. Like, you don't think they're talking about that or, like, seriously, like, Seriously, come on. Are you stupid? After Snyder declined to testify, though, the chairwoman of the House Committee, Democrat from New York, Carolyn Maloney, announced that she would also issue a subpoena for Snyder to testify before the committee. And then we got the report that Snyder apparently refused to accept the service of a subpoena, but earlier this month has now offered to testify remotely on July 28th or July 29th. And now Tuesday, the day I'm recording this podcast, apparently the House has accepted those terms. So apparently, that's going to happen later this month. So basically, that's what's happened. Right now, that's basically where we're at. To recap, though, Washington Commander's owner Daniel Snyder is currently being investigated by Congress and the NFL for sexual assault allegations and is being investigated by Congress, the NFL, the District of Columbia, and Virginia for allegations of financial impropriety. So with all that, you would think, you would think that Dan Snyder is finally screwed and could finally be forced to leave his position as owner of the Washington Commanders. Please, 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 please. Really? But one could only hope. I mean, nothing is assured. With all the stuff that has happened in the past, like, there's a bunch more stuff that I did not even mention about Snyder in here, in his past, that is controversial and troubling. With all the stuff that's happened in the past and the fact that Snyder is still there, I mean, I guess we'll have to see. But with everything that we know now, and stuff that we might not know, I will say this. It would be absolutely shameful of the National Football League to allow Snyder to continue as owner. Of course, the NFL is known for doing some shady things. So if Snyder continued as owner, I wouldn't be surprised. Would I be disappointed? Of course, because, you know, he's terrible. He's not just a terrible owner. He's a terrible person. But the NFL says, Well, if you make us money, which honestly, if the team was actually doing good, this probably wouldn't have even mattered because, you know, winning is everything. Winning is the only thing. I mean, that's basically what's happened to Jerry Jones, even though the Cowboys haven't won much in a long time, but better than Washington, I guess. Like, seriously, Dan Snyder. That's why that's why I keep mentioning him on the podcast. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Dan Snyder. I cannot continue to be a fan of this organization because of all these things, which I have finally addressed on the podcast. You're like, bro, that's some messed up stuff. Yeah, I know. It ain't good. Dan Snyder has got to go. 
That is all I'll say on the matter. That's a lot of facts. So, to recap all that, it hasn't been the best offseason for football, especially if you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns or the Washington Commanders. If there's any Commanders fans left, because when there's a home game for Washington, it's like barely half full, I think, like maybe not even FedEx Field. They have to tarp seats off because they're not full, and a bunch of the fans are opposing team fans. It's terrible, because why would they go? Their team sucks, Danner sucks, everything sucks. But don't worry, because I'm all done talking about the bad stuff with football right now. All that's done. So you can go back to watching Greeny in the mornings on ESPN. I just can't. It's not even football season yet. It's getting there, but it's not there yet. And until it is, I'm done talking about it. We didn't even talk about all that stuff. We talked about some bad stuff that's going on off the field. But it is important, though, to know about those two cases. And now you've got all the facts that you could ever ask for on those two cases. How about that? Xander's facts. So I got that. That was part one and a half, I guess, because the last part of this podcast is going to be short and sweet. We're just making the quick transition from pro to college, because before I wrap up episode 70 of the podcast, I just wanted to touch on the latest news in college sports, because by now, of course, you've probably heard that the University of Southern California and the University of California, Los Angeles, better known as USC and UCLA, are leaving the Pac-12 conference in 2024 and moving to the Big Ten conference. And this is the second straight summer that we have gotten some major and surprising conference realignment news. Because last summer, Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were leaving the Big 12 to the Southeastern Conference, the SEC, in 2025. And we had a whole podcast about that last summer, which you should go check out. Seamless bug. But I did talk about USC and UCLA on Xander's Weekend Facts. I did a little Xander's analysis section about that, which you should go check out because Sanders Week, in fact, you can get it for free every Sunday morning in your email inbox. Like, I don't know why you haven't signed up. Like, you need to go do that. But if you haven't read it, and even if you have, you know that I think that this is a bad thing. And I'm not going to get into why, because I already wrote it. But I will talk about what could happen next. Hypothetical scenarios. For a quick minute, because we all know that in college athletics, the era of the super conferences is inevitable. And apparently, it's just beginning. The SEC and the Big Ten, when they add the two teams they're going to for each conference, are going to be at 16 teams. And the reports say that they aren't done yet. Although, there is a new report, recent, last few days, that says the SEC apparently doesn't want to expand right now. So, I mean, we'll see. Of course, the timing, if they do expand, we don't know. But the largest domino that is going to be left to drop is Notre Dame. Notre Dame has only been in a conference for football for one year, 2020, in the ACC when they were forced to because everybody else got rid of their non-conference games because of COVID. It's a fact. And this leads me to talking about what could happen with the remaining three conferences in the Power Five, Power Five right now, the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 because Notre Dame and all their other sports is contractually with the ACC. And in their contract with the ACC, it says if Notre Dame joins a conference in football, they are obligated to join the ACC, even though the big rumors have been Notre Dame joining the Big Ten, because obviously they're in the Midwest, they're in Indiana. That would make sense. They're kind of left on their own island in the ACC, even though Louisville is kind of there, but that still. That's not the Atlantic Coast, Indiana. But Big Ten, nobody was near UCLA and USC, so I guess it doesn't really matter. But I would say, though, that the ACC, out of those three conferences, ACC, Big 12, and Pac-12, a lot of people aren't saying this, but the ACC is probably the most stable of those conferences. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a fan of ACC, ACC school. The only reason for that, though, is a grant of rights that the school signed because Maryland left for the Big Ten in 2014. Maryland was a charter member of the ACC. So after Maryland left, the schools in the ACC signed a grant of rights agreement that basically financially binds each school to the conference. And if a school wanted to leave, 
they would have to pay a huge amount of money. Like some have reported $100 million, others potentially hundreds of millions of dollars to the ACC. Yum. And they would not own the TV rights for any home games for any sport until 2036 when the ACC's television contract with ESPN ends, unless they negotiate out, which doesn't seem likely, unless the Big Ten and the SEC at the same time say, the Big Ten will take these schools, the SEC will take these schools. Like, if a vast majority of the schools leave, then basically, I guess the conference, like, dissolves and they won't have to do that. But, I mean, right now, that doesn't seem likely. But the more realistic issue for the ACC is that the ACC's TV deal, which goes until 2036 with ESPN, is a lot less than what ESPN is paying the SEC or what the Big Ten is about to get. The Big Ten is going to announce their new TV deals in the next couple months with Fox and reportedly CBS or ESPN or NBC or whoever they sign with. It's going to be a lot less than those two conferences get. So what is the ACC going to do to stay afloat and not let their biggest schools get poached by the Big Ten or the SEC? Well, recent reports have indicated that the ACC and the Pac-12 could enter a financial agreement in the hopes of signing a larger TV deal, which, I mean, you could do that. The report basically said that that would get rid of the Pac-12 networks, which are television networks that you probably have no clue what they are because they're obscure, not very good for the Pac-12, and everything would be on the ACC network, which is run by ESPN. And if they could get a good TV deal out of that, and the ACC could get more money, because the Pac-12's TV deal ends in 2024, that's why UCLA and USC are going to the Big Ten in 2024, because that's when the TV deal ends, so they won't owe the Pac-12 any money. Cool facts, bro. If the ACC and the remaining teams in the Pac-12 get more money, I mean, there you go. And I was thinking, this doesn't seem likely though, but basically at some point, why not just merge the two conferences? Like, create a major... If the other conferences are going to do their own super conferences, maybe make your own major super conference, but you could split it up. So you've got the old ACC teams, and you've got the old Pac-12 teams, and they basically run separately, except for, like, you have a couple games, like one game in football, maybe, or a couple games of basketball, where you basically, an ACC team can play a Pac-12 team and all that. But, like, except for that, they run separately. Like, the Pac-12 could have their own conference championship game or conference tournament in basketball, and the ACC could do the same thing. Now, this agreement apparently was talking about the ACC and the Pac-12 having their own conference championship games in football, and then those two conference champions meeting up for their own game in Las Vegas. I don't know about that, but if you basically merged the conferences, got a huge TV deal, I mean, I don't, that's, very hypothetical, but if someone is going to give you a lot of money, I mean, come on. And the Pac-12, like, you've got 10 schools in the Pac-12 right now, 15, 14 in football, in the ACC. You could add a couple schools in the West. I mean, you've got the Mountain West Conference, which you could add a couple schools from. Gonzaga's out there. I don't know if you want to add Gonzaga for basketball, basically, but they could. Gonzaga wouldn't have as easy of a conference schedule anymore. But that's like one hypothetical. And honestly, they should be looking at that if they talk to ESPN or CBS or Fox or whatever and say, we're going to do this. And they'll say, oh, well, we'll give you a bunch of money. That might be the case. But there's also another conference, the Big 12. And a lot of people think that the Big 12 might be the most stable right now because there's a rumor that the Big 12 is talking about adding several schools from the Pac-12. The Big 12, of course, lost Texas and Oklahoma, and last summer we were talking about, oh, the Big 12 doesn't look so good. Looks like these teams might go to the Pac-12, these teams might go to the Big 10, these teams might go to the SEC, the ACC, like it was going to get split up. But now, the Big 12, after Texas and Oklahoma left, or announced they were going to leave, they haven't left yet, the Big 12 said that they were going to add UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU. 
So now they've got 12 teams. So they could try to make their own super conference because their TV deal is coming up pretty soon too. So they could try that. So all these things like could happen, hypotheticals. But they're going to have to do something because at the rate we're going, it's going to be a power two and the rest. Big 10 and the SEC and the rest. Like, I don't like that. And yes, I am a fan of a school that is not in the power two. Quit whining. But also, as a fan of college sports, I don't like it. This, this whole conversation. Like, why can't we have the ACC as it is now? The SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Big 12. Like, just leave it. The only reason they're doing this is money. That's the only reason. You think USC and UCLA want to play Rutgers and Maryland all the time? No, they'd rather play Oregon and Washington and Stanford and Cal. But they're going to make more money playing Rutgers and Maryland and Indiana and Purdue. So they're going to do that. That's what this is all about. If you didn't read Sanders Weekend Facts, you know that. But I don't like it. This is not good at all. And I'm probably going to talk about this in the future too. Because the era of super conferences is just getting started. And that's not good. What are you talking about? It's looking pretty inevitable. So, that was not short and sweet. And this was not the shortest of podcasts. But, I think I got my points across. And a lot of facts. So, there you go. Xander's Facts. But that is basically what I've got for episode 70 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you liked all the facts that I had this week, on episode 70 of Zero's Facts Podcast, remember to click the follow button on this podcast, download this episode, episode 70, rate the podcast, and review the podcast. Go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Sanders Facts, that's Sanders with a Z. Subscribe to the facts on YouTube. You can listen to this episode on YouTube with a nice background. It's very nice. Check it out. Zaner's Facts on YouTube. Check out the Zaner's Facts link tree. It's got all the links for Zaner's Facts that you need, including... The link for Xander's Weekend Facts, which is also in this episode's description, but sign up for the weekly newsletter, which has got a lot more facts for free every Sunday morning. New edition drops. Check that out. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends about the facts. We call it spreading the facts. Tell all your friends about the Xander's Facts podcast. But that is a wrap on episode 70 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see y'all with episode 71 next week.